Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. Hey, you know what? There is very adult content ahead and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, Relax and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, since we're all coming off of a holiday weekend, and let's face it, none of us feel like working, especially me, because as you can tell from my voice, I am not feeling very well, but I love you guys so much that I have been saving my voice all day long so that I could talk with you guys. So I thought I'd pull out another quick one for you guys. So, as always, we will be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. And by the way, just so you know, alcohol and NyQuil, fucking awesome. Alright, the choice of libation is going to be up to you, so choose your venom accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say axe... That will be a single shot. And every time I say Velisca, that will be a double shot. All right, some of you are knowing where we're going today. All right, now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma and the Velisca Axe Murder House Mystery. That's right, guys. We're going. All right, my heathens, let's go. At the end of a quiet street in Villisca, Iowa, there sits an old white frame house. Up the street, there's a group of churches, and a few blocks away is a park that faces a middle school. The old white house looks like many of the others that fill the neighborhood, but unlike them, it lies completely abandoned. The house emits no light or sound, and upon closer inspection, the doors are found to be tightly boarded up. A small sign out front reads, Velisca Axe Murder House. Despite its ominous air, the little white house was once filled with life. Life that was harshly stamped out one warm summer's night in 1912, when a mysterious stranger broke in and viciously bludgeoned its eight sleeping inhabitants to death. The event would become known as the Velisca Axe Murders, and it would baffle law enforcement for over a century. On June 10, 1912, the Moore family was sleeping peacefully in their beds. Joe and Sarah Moore were asleep upstairs, while their four children were resting in a room down the hall. In a guest room on the first floor were two girls, the Stillinger sisters, who had come for a sleepover. Shortly after midnight, a stranger entered through the unlocked door, which was not an uncommon sight in what was considered a small, safe, and friendly town, 
and plucked an oil lamp from a nearby table, rigging it to burn so low it supplied light for barely one person. On one hand, the stranger held the lamp, lighting the way through the house. In the other, he held an axe. Ignoring the sleeping girls downstairs, the stranger made his way up the stairs, guided by the lamp, and a seemingly unerring knowledge of the home's layout. He crept past the room with the children and into, and into Mr. and Moore, Mrs. Moore's bedroom. Then he made his way to the children's room and finally back down to the bedroom downstairs. Then, as quickly and silently as he had arrived, the stranger left, taking keys from the home and locking the door behind him. The next morning, the neighbors became suspicious, noticing that the usually rambunctious home was dead silent. They alerted Joe's brother, who arrived to take a look. What he saw after letting himself in with his own key was enough to make him sick. Everyone in the house was dead. All, uh, all eight of them bludgeoned beyond recognition. The police determined that the Moore parents had been murdered first, and with obvious force. The axe that had been used to kill them had been swung so high above the murderer's head that it gouged the ceiling above the bed. Joe alone had been hit with the axe at least 30 times. The faces of both parents, as well as the children, had been reduced to nothing but a bloody pulp. The state of the bodies wasn't the most concerning part, however, once the police had searched the home. After murdering the Moors, the killer had apparently set up some kind of ritual. He had covered the Moors' parents' heads with sheets and the Moor children's faces with clothing. He then went through each room in the house, covering all of the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. At some point, he took a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room along with a keychain. A bowl of water was found in the home, spirals of blood swirling through it. Police believe that the murderer had washed his hands in it before leaving. By the time the police, the coroner, a minister, and several doctors had thoroughly perused the crime scene, word of the vicious crime had spread, and the crowd outside the home had grown. Officials cautioned the townspeople against going inside, but as soon as the premises were clear, at least a hundred townspeople gave in to their gross fascinations and traipsed through the blood-spattered home. One of the townspeople even took a fragment of Joe's skull as a keepsake. As for the perpetrator of the Velisca axe murders, the police had shockingly few leads. A few half-hearted efforts to search the town and surrounding countryside were made, though most officials believe that with the roughly five-hour head start that the killer had, he would be long gone. Bloodhounds were brought in, but with no success, as the crime scene had been fully demolished by the townspeople. And there were few suspects that were named over time, although none of them panned out. The first was a local businessman by the name of Frank Jones, who had been in competition with Joe Moore. 
Moore had worked for Jones for seven years in the farm equipment sales business before leaving and starting his own rival business. There was also a rumor that Joe was having an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, though the reports were unfounded. The townspeople insist, however, that the Moors and the Joneses harbored a deep hatred for each other, though no one admits it was bad enough to spark a murder. The second suspect seemed far more likely and even confessed to the murders, though he would later recant that, claiming police brutality. His name was Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. He was an English immigrant who had a history of sexual deviancy and mental problems. He even admitted to being in town the night of the Velisca Axe murders and admitted that he had left early in the morning. Though his small stature and meek personality led some to doubt his involvement, there were certain factors police believed made him the perfect candidate. For one, Kelly was left-handed, which police determined from blood spatters that the killer was also. He also had a history with the Moore family, as many had seen him watching them while at church and out and about in town. A dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murders. He reportedly also asked police for access to the home after the crime while posing as a Scotland Yard officer. At one point, after a long interrogation, he eventually signed a confession detailing the crime. However, he almost immediately recanted, and a jury refused to indict him. For years, police looked into every possible scenario that could have culminated in the Velisca Axe murders. Was it a single attack or part of a larger string of murders? Was it likelier to be a local perpetrator, a traveling killer, somebody simply passing through town and taking up an opportunity? Soon, reports of similar enough crimes happening throughout the country began to pop up. Though the crimes were not quite as gruesome, they were two com- there were two common threads. The use of an axe as the murder weapon and the presence of an oil lamp set to burn extremely low at the scene. Despite the commonalities, however, no actual connection could be made. The case eventually ran cold and the house was boarded up. No sale was ever attempted, and no changes were made to the original layout. Now the house sits at the end of the quiet street as it always has, while life goes on around it, undeterred by the horrors that were once committed within. And the victims of the Velisca Axe murders were Josiah Moore, his wife Sarah, their four children, the youngest, just five years old, and eight-year-old Ina May Stillinger and her 12-year-old sister, Lena Gertrude, two neighbor girls who were friends with the Moore's oldest daughter. All were killed in their beds. Only Lena appeared to have woken up during her attack. Eerier still is the fact that after the murders were over, the killer, or killers, moved through the house carefully covering the faces of the deceased and the mirrors in every room with cloth. And while we know the name of the victims of the Velisca Axe murders, the identity of the killer still remains a mystery. In spite of a bevy of clues and a host of possible suspects, no convictions were ever obtained. Who could have committed such a grisly act? And we're going to go over five of the most intriguing suspects, two of which you've already heard, but we're going to bring them back up again. The first one was Frank F. Jones. 
and he's perhaps the most surprising name linked to the Brutal Villisca murders, because Jones was a respected member of the community and an Iowa state senator. Josiah Moore had worked for Jones for several years before leaving to start his own business selling farm implements. When he did so, he reportedly took a lucrative John Deere contract with him. While that might not have been motive enough for murder, rumors also persisted that Moore had been carrying on an affair with Jones's daughter. Though Detective Wilkerson of the Burns Detective Agency in Kansas City accused Jones of the crime, no formal charges were ever brought against the senator. All right, and our next suspect is William Blackie Mansfield. While Wilkerson suspected that Frank F. Jones was the dark mind behind the Velisca murders, he believed that the man who actually brought down the axe was one William Blackie Mansfield. Mansfield was a suspected serial killer, believed to be responsible for the murder of his own wife, infant child, and in-laws, as well as similar axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas, just four days before the Velisca murders took place. According to Wilkerson, Mansfield was hired by Jones to execute the Moore family. The detective convinced a grand jury to open an investigation on Mansfield in 1916, though an alibi eventually led to Mansfield's release. Later, Mansfield successfully sued Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225. Big money back in 1916, right? Our next candidate is Henry Lee Moore. Detective Wilkerson wasn't the only one who believed that the Velisca murders had been the work of a serial killer. In May 1913, a federal investigator declared that not only had he solved the Velisca murders, but also 22 other axe murders across the country. He laid the blame at the feet of Henry Lee Moore, no relation to Josiah Moore and his family who had already been convicted of the murder of his mother and grandmother just a few months after the Velisca killings. Henry Lee Moore served out 36 years of a life sentence and was paroled in 1949. In spite of the claims of the federal investigator, Henry Moore was never charged with the Velisca killings or any of the other murders of which he was suspected. Our next candidate is Andy Sawyer. In the wake of the brutal killings, suspicion was cast upon transients and strangers who might have been passing through town at the time. One such individual was Andy Sawyer, who was reported to the sheriff by his employer as a result of his odd behavior. Sawyer was apparently very interested in the Velisca murders and is said to have slept fully dressed while gripping the axe that he used as a worker on the Burlington Railroad. Though the town sheriff detained Sawyer, he was dismissed as a suspect when it came to light that he had been arrested for vagrancy in Osceola, Iowa on the night of the murders. So kind of a good one, right? And our last suspect, Reverend George Kelly. The chief Velisca suspect was a traveling minister by the name of George Kelly who was arrested in 1917 after years of sending inquiring letters about the murders to police and family members of the victims. 
Kelly had previously been arrested for sending obscene material through the mail and had been held in a mental hospital in Washington, D.C. After his arrest, Kelly made a full confession to the Velisca slayings. However, the confession came after hours of interrogation, and he recanted almost immediately. His first trial ended in a hung jury, while the second resulted in an acquittal. Investigators continued to receive confessions in the years after the killings, including one from a prisoner in 1931, Detroit, who claimed that an unknown businessman had offered to pay him $5,000 to kill the Moore family. Ultimately, every clue and every confession leads to a dead end. Today, the Velisca Axe Murder House is open to the public for both daytime tours and overnight stays. Visitors can now explore the scene of the crime and experience firsthand the enduring mystery at the heart of the slayings, for those of you that are brave. And with that, we've come to the end of our episode, and I thank you for joining me once again today. I hope you'll take the time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. As always, you can reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line and I do reply to every email. On that note, that is all the time I have for you today, my darlings. I do thank you so much for joining us here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to choose it to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. As always, I love you. Mwah. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.